This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. The adverse effects of the COVID pandemic on learning in the United States has been well documented. But what is its impact on countries elsewhere? Do students in Europe, Asia, Africa, and Latin America, do they suffer in the same way that students in the United States have been? Is the pattern pretty much the same or does it vary from place to place? These are the questions that Dr. Harry Petrinos is addressing. In his current research, Dr. Petrinos is the economics of education advisor to the chief economist for Europe and Central Asia at the World Bank. At a just concluded International School Choice Research Conference in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, uh, Harry Petrinos presented his current findings on the pandemic's impact on education worldwide. Many people were absolutely enthralled at what he had to say, and I'm so pleased to have today with Harry Petrinos with me on the Education Exchange. Harry, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Paul. So, Harry, our listeners are eager to learn about your findings on student learning during the pandemic. But before we turn to that, may I first ask you about the World Bank's role in education and your role within the World Bank? Yes, certainly. At the World Bank, uh, we we focus on many, many areas, including uh, what we call human development, which includes health and uh, nutrition, social protection, gender, and included under human development is education as well. And the World Bank is the largest external funder of education in the world. We uh, work in all regions, um, but we have a, a very large role in uh, developing countries, uh, also in some middle-income countries as well. Our support is uh, mostly financial, investments in education to improve uh, learning outcomes, to expand education. Uh, also, there's an analytical program. We do research on education and advise governments on policy, and we're involved in uh, producing and disseminating evidence on, on what works to improve outcomes at all levels of uh, education. I've been involved in education for my uh, entire career at the World Bank, and uh, currently uh, I'm advising at the uh, Chief Economist Office for Europe and Central Asia. So, uh, Harry, uh, I, um, I, I've been uh, working with you on education policy for, for many, many years, uh, but you dodged my question a little bit. How many years have you been working at the World Bank? When did you begin there? It's been a long time. Yeah, I've been in the bank for 28 years. I, I started in the 1990s when the bank had um, changed its mission statement to one uh, of uh, poverty uh, reduction and uh, quickly started working on education programs. Well, so you are an authority on this subject and, and that's why it's so interesting to have your perspective on what was the impact of the pandemic. Now, in the United States, we know that a lot of school districts closed their doors in the late uh, part of March 2020. Many didn't reopen the following fall. Many were closed in the spring of 2021. So how does the United States compare with other countries in terms of 
keeping their doors open and or as distinct from switching online or, or closing them all together? What, what's the overall picture in the world? Sure. Uh, although we have more data for countries like the U.S., in fact, most countries closed their schools in the spring of 2020, and most countries closed their, their classrooms for a much longer period than, than the United States did or, or uh, countries in Western Europe. The, uh, the crisis hit, hit hard. Uh, schools were closed. Uh, everyone went to distance um, education, online if they had it. Uh, but the but the effects are, are felt um, as bad or, or or worse in developing countries. So in the United States, most studies are showing uh, major learning losses, especially in math, but also in le in reading. So what do you find elsewhere around the world? Uh, did kids learn despite these closures, or do you find something? similar to what we found in the United States, or maybe it's even worse than in the United States. Yeah, um, with, the, with the proviso that most countries have not produced um, assessments of learning during COVID, we have been able to collect information from 42 countries, which includes the United States and North America uh, and Europe. So very few um, of our developing countries have produced any kind of evidence. But from those 42 countries, we know that the learning losses have been severe, uh, in most cases uh, worse than uh, what we're seeing in, in, in the US. Um, the, the duration has been slightly longer in other countries, uh, and the learning losses uh, have been great in some countries. Uh, we, we have evidence that uh, for a year's worth of uh, school closure, some countries lost two years equivalent in learning. So they're not only not getting the skills they would have gotten during that, that school year, but they're also forgetting some of the knowledge that they learned in previous years. So are there any exceptions to this? Is there any place where uh, it didn't make any difference if they closed their schools? Or are there any places where they didn't close their schools? What, what exceptions are there out there in the landscape? There are some, there are some exceptions. And I, and I would, uh, uh, put in that category, uh, France and uh, Denmark, uh, two countries that did close schools during the first year or the first wave, as, as we called it back then. Uh, they did close schools. They did notice uh, learning losses, uh, but they did two things different uh, from other countries. One was they continued to measure learning outcomes throughout the uh, pandemic, during the closures, when schools reopened, and they sent information to to the households, to the parents, along with information about how to continue learning, how to help the uh, students uh, at home, the children at home. And they gave them instruction on, on best practice reading. And what we saw in France and especially in Denmark is that the scores rebounded very quickly. By the time the schools reopened in 2021, uh, most of that gap had disappeared in, in, uh, in Denmark. The, the only country I know that did not close primary schools was Sweden. And we're fortunate that uh, they also measured learning outcomes before and after uh, COVID, and they find absolutely no learning losses, which leads me to, to think that it's the duration of the school closures that led to the learning losses. But there were things that uh, countries could have done in addition to business education to prevent or mitigate some of the loss. 
So in other words, Sweden did not close its schools, did not have a learning loss. Denmark did close its schools, but it's it it was constantly measuring how much each student was learning. Is that what you're telling me? Every student in Denmark or almost every student in Denmark was being tracked. And then that information was being fed back to the parents. So parents could be, your, your child isn't learning. You need to help him read and here's how you can can do that is that is that what you're telling me correct the the uh the the measurement in, in Denmark as you know is uh uh quite unique uh, they they do uh, a lot of work on on measuring outcomes in a way that's useful to uh teachers and, and policymakers so that information was fed back um the the same the same seems to have been the case in in, in France um, other countries are continuing to measure, but the difference in, in France and Denmark was that added um, layer of support to, to the parents to continue the learning. Well, in the United States, there's been a lot of uh, concern about measuring uh, student performance now uh, post-COVID. Saying, uh, in Massachusetts, the teachers say they should abandon the, the annual test and in other parts of the country, they've they've abandoned it at least for, or they did abandon it at least for one year and so forth. So are you telling me that this is exactly the opposite of what they should be doing? I I was supportive during the, the first closures that uh, examination should be postponed because it wasn't fair that uh, students should be selected for higher levels of uh, education during a, a disrupted school year. But I think assessments that are designed to Inform teachers and policymakers about where learning stands in the in the country or the school, or the classroom is extremely useful to policymakers. The countries I work in, we don't have the luxury of not um, not having that information because the the class sizes tend to be much larger in in uh, in many poorer countries. Uh, so a teacher that doesn't have information about the, uh, the the level of learning across the classroom, it would be very difficult for them to. To teach, so I I would worry that teachers would be uh, would have less information, and therefore it would make their job much harder because uh, we know that the, the learning gaps um, increase. It's not only that there was learning loss, but the, the the distribution of scores has has widened. So you have some some children minority that did fine with business education, but uh, many that were struggling before the pandemic that come from poor uh, households. Uh, suffered a lot, and um, that heterogeneity in the classroom will make it difficult for teachers to teach if they don't have some information about their, their learning levels. So you're saying that the uh, the poor students, the ones who come from low-income families, those are the ones that suffered the biggest declines? Are you seeing that in general across the world? Yes. In, in the studies that we collected, robust studies that have um, controls and, and are uh, comparable before and uh, after the pandemic, uh, when they do measure uh, differences, uh, whether it's socioeconomic background or uh, uh, other characteristics of students, we do find in most cases that there was uh, an increase in the gap between those that were better off and those with that poor, um, uh, from, from poor families. Also, students that were struggling before the pandemic tended to do worse um, uh, in, in the measurement. So yes, there, there's definitely uh, an average learning loss and also uh, a widening in the distribution of scores. 
So we both have equity effects here that are adverse and uh, overall effects uh, that are, are adverse. So you couldn't write a worse story, really. In many ways, you couldn't write a worse story. Correct. Correct. But the, I guess the um, the bright side, as it were, uh, when you do have this information and make uh, design interventions to, to make up for the loss, you can make up for the loss. We've seen in, in many countries, um, in, in, uh, in Tamil Nadu, in India, a compensatory program measured learning losses and then went in with uh, resources to support those students that fallen behind. And they were able to make up about two thirds of the learning gap in the first few months as a, as a result of the school reopening, but also because of this compensatory program. Oh, that's interesting. So we'll come back to that in just a minute, but let me just check a couple of other things here. How about the age of the student? Does it have make a difference whether it's an elementary school student or a high school student? Uh, where do you see any differences there? I, I think most of the losses have been for younger students, um, earlier grades. Um, I think the, the reason for that is it's much more difficult for uh, very young uh, children to follow online uh, programs. Uh, I think if, if students haven't mastered uh, the fundamentals of reading, it, it will be difficult for them to, to follow um, instruction online. I think some older students, it, it might not be as much about transition because they're probably using technology already. So we are seeing uh, greater losses in, in, for the um, younger children, the earlier grades. So um, that's very interesting. How about the private schools? Uh, I know that you follow private schools around the world among your other uh, duties. Uh, do you see as big a learning loss there? Do you see as many closures? What's the story in the private sector? Well, on average, uh, private schools were, were closed uh, significantly fewer days than, than public schools. And that's a general finding around the world. Uh, and we are seeing when it's measured uh, that, that the learning losses are less for private schools. Uh, the situation is different, uh, perhaps, for schools that are that are predominantly attended by the by poor uh, students from poor families. Uh, those schools did suffer financial difficulties as the economy's uh, downturned. Also, uh, teachers in, in low-cost private schools were, uh, were not getting paid on time. They might not have been getting the, the professional support they would otherwise. So the learning impact in low-cost schools has been mixed, but there are uh, some, some exceptions. In, in countries where uh, the, the private sector uh, dominates, we're seeing uh, lower levels of learning loss in private schools compared uh, to public schools. In one, um, case in Nigeria, uh, the losses were severe in low-cost private schools, but supplemental programs uh, were able to help close that gap quickly. But on average, I would say uh, restoration of uh, school closures and therefore less learning loss, uh, but with a mixed picture in terms of uh, overall learning losses. So you, what you're, I think I hear you saying is that if the private school is a well-funded school, it uh, probably stayed open and and the impact was moderate. But if it was a low-income private school, uh, the impact was much greater. In fact, some of them just totally shut down. Correct. Correct. Well, that's, that's exactly the way I'm seeing it. 
So, um, so how about the size of the private? At the, at the conference, I think you said where the private sector was larger, the public schools were more likely to remain closed. Is that, did I hear you correctly when you made that observation? Yeah, so we, we tried to uh, estimate the, the determinants of the uh, extent of uh, school closures. And, and one of the surprising findings was that uh, the larger the private sector in a country, the longer schools were closed. Uh, some people um, commented that maybe um, decision makers thought since there, there were private schools, there's still some schooling going on. It's okay to, uh, to close schools for a longer period of time. I don't have evidence on that, but that was one of the surprising findings uh, of our analysis. Yeah, and a friend of mine saw, commented, well, sure, they send their own children to private school. And so they don't really care about the state schools if they've got a place for their own kids. But that's pretty cynical, I would say. It's a bit cynical, yeah. And we don't have evidence for that. Yeah. So the, how about the non-academic outcomes? We've been looking at at uh, test performance, uh, and that's the easiest, uh, not that it's easy, but it's easier to get that information. But how about the impact on emotional well-being, physical well-being, social relationships? Do you have any information on that? A little bit, but I would start uh, with the, the the health side. So I would say that um, in the first wave, uh, like many people, I supported uh, temporary school closures because of the, the health reasons, especially before the va vaccinations. Uh, but we're not seeing ev any evidence that uh, schools that opened earlier uh, suffered a higher infection or, or death rate due to COVID. So that, that part is, is good news. The other part of the health side is what you mentioned, mental health issues, uh, uh, other, other indicators of stress. And we are seeing uh, many reports that, that, these, that this got worse uh, as the closures uh, continued. Uh, we saw the the effects of isolation in many uh, cases. Um, we're also seeing um, evidence that once the schools reopen, behavioral issues uh, have emerged. Many teachers are uh, complaining about the behavioral issues. So the, the mental health uh, toll has been great. I think it's um, less well-documented than the uh, learning losses, but we are seeing more reports on adverse effects. Well, some people say that really it wasn't the schools closing that was really important. It was just the overall impact of the pandemic on society as a whole with businesses closing and people isolating themselves and so forth. And they point out that in Florida, the losses, the learning losses are about the same as in California, even though the policies in the two states with respect to the schools are really quite different or seem to be quite different. It's certainly the governor of Florida was promoting keeping schools open and the governor of California was not. So what's the, what's, can you be sure it was really the schools closing that was important here? Or was it just the more general phenomenon that uh, we had a panic in our societies? I can't say categorically, but I did study uh, the impact of duration of uh, closure on learning outcomes. And I do find that the, the longer schools were closed, the greater were the losses. Uh, I, I tried to control for other things like uh, the existence of private schools, the level of uh, uh, democracy, the internet penetration, uh, the strength of unions. None of those seem to be important in terms of learning loss. I also controlled for some direct COVID measures, the death rate, 
the stringency of the lockdowns uh, and the vaccination rate. Uh, I find that uh, in terms of learning losses, none of those uh, made a difference. It was only the uh, level of school closures. Um, but that's on test scores. Perhaps other factors could have been um, affected by the overall uh, conditions during COVID. But the, uh, in terms of learning losses, it was simply the, the duration of, of the school closure. Well, that's an important finding because uh, if you can really say that you've got some evidence there that it's what was happening in the school, of course, it only makes sense. If you close school for a year, you're going to learn less. Uh, it's a pretty simple finding, but nonetheless, there's a lot of uh, conversation out there that probably doesn't want to believe that. The denial is uh, one of the uh, uh, characteristics of the human soul, I guess. So um, let me ask you, um, Ian, you touched on this before and I cut you off, but so let's go back to that. What do you see as the best way to respond to the situation moving forward? How do we, how do we try to recover the losses? How do we undo the damage? Yeah, the, the, the most important um, factor in my mind is uh, to measure learning. We need to know where where students are in relation to the to the uh, learning levels before the pandemic, in relation to the, the the curriculum and the education standard. Only then can you design the uh, interventions. So, so step two after measurement would be to design uh, learning recovery programs. And we've learned a couple of things during the pandemic. Uh, we've learned that tutoring is very effective at improving uh, test scores. We knew that before, but tutoring face to face is very expensive. Uh, one of the innovations during the pandemic was online tutoring. And these programs were just as effective as in person, but at a fraction of the cost. Uh, so that's one, one way to mitigate and recover learning losses. Uh, the other is to use other technology. We saw low-income countries even SMS messaging parents about the reading behavior of their, of their children improved learning outcomes. So creating the, the, the tutoring and the uh, interventions, the compensatory programs as were done uh, in Tamil Nadu in India, for example, is very important for addressing uh, the learning losses. And then, then I would say it's um, spending. Um, we're, we've made education more expensive because of the learning losses and we need to, to spend more to address the, the learning needs to support the teachers, that are dealing with, uh, in many countries, bigger classrooms with a much wider uh, dispersion of uh, abilities, and they need the support. Um, and then finally, uh, we're going to get school closures uh, or some other crisis at some point. We need to be better prepared for this. I think one of the uh, reasons for the learning loss is that our distance education programs were not designed to, to uh, uh, replace the education system. They weren't designed to uh, improve learning. They were created too quickly. So we do need a backup system uh, and we need to use technology for uh, hopefully temporary uh, school closures uh, in the future. But the other thing that we've learned is that um, these long duration school closures uh, didn't uh, help us uh, on the education front. So we have losses, learning losses and other losses, as you mentioned, uh, but also they didn't do very much in terms of the infection rates or um, reducing uh, the, the peak uh, COVID. So uh, we, we do need to think about the, what we've learned during this uh, pandemic. And, and I think the, uh, 
the other lesson that you, you touched upon, if you if we believe that schooling has benefits, then the absence of schooling um, will, uh, by necessity, reduce uh, those benefits. So we have validated the importance of, of schooling by taking it away, uh, oddly enough. Uh, and this does show that the classrooms and schools and teachers have a very important role to play in making sure that we're building our, our education systems and human capital. Yeah, it is ironic that it takes a pandemic to show us that the schooling is really important for educating people. Uh, a lot of people begin to wonder about that. And then now we have a lot of evidence on, on the other side. Now, my friend uh, Rick Kanyashek says that the best way to do this is to get better teachers. Uh, what do you think of that idea that we can solve the problem if we can only get a better teaching force? Well, I think better teaching would would be useful in, even in the absence of uh, of COVID in, in in the developing world. We we already had a learning crisis um, in in, uh, in in most parts of the world. Uh, half the children uh, of uh, you know ten year old children can, can't read a simple uh, statement uh, even after three or four years of schooling. And the pandemic has made it even worse. So we do need better teaching. We do need to support teachers. We need to select. Uh, the right teachers for uh, for the jobs. So I I agree. Uh, teachers are going to be part of this um, of this solution, and and we do need uh, to make sure that our systems are producing uh, the very best. Um, I think uh, many countries are ready to reform their education systems, and now would be the time to to share knowledge and best practice on, on what it takes to uh, to improve systems. Uh, I also think we need to to use technology as a as an additional factor in, in the teaching process and, and learn from what we built in the system uh, as a result of COVID to, to supplement uh, learning and to hopefully personalize it a bit so that students can have the, the teacher, the great teacher in the classroom, but also the technology um, at home. Well, technology is a popular way to go forward and it does you can do a lot of things uh, less expensively but there's been a lot of studies out there that show that learning online is not as effective and in, in fact the learning losses occurred despite the fact that a lot of countries tried the online learning experience uh, and these virtual charter schools that are being uh, utilized in the United States are not showing to be particularly effective, or at least that's what researchers are saying. So what, are you sure that the technology is going to, I mean, don't people need to have face-to-face -face human interactions in order for education to be effective? Oh, no doubt. I, and, I, and I think the, the pandemic has, has has taught us that, again, uh, I think primarily the, the learning will take place as a result of the face-to-face -face instruction in schools. What I meant was in a supplement on the side, uh, some technology improvements uh, would be useful so that students can have a place to go when they're not in the classroom uh, and to help us personalize the, the knowledge a bit to give wider access to, to lessons. One of the positive examples that I saw of the use of technology was in Uzbekistan. We don't have the, uh, the results yet. Uh, of the um, of the losses there, but uh, it seems that they were minimized in many rural areas as a result of these uh, very well produced videos that were broadcast on uh, television. Uh, 
uh, in three national um, on three national uh, uh, broadcasting systems in three uh, of the country's languages. And in rural areas, this reached uh, every household, and the parents saw what a good teacher looked like. And in those cases, they, it might have been effective. I wouldn't transfer the system completely to online, but I think as a supplement uh, to a good teacher, it, it makes sense. So is that what the World Bank is investing in? What is it exactly World Bank is it, it, moving forward? Uh, what are your policies there? What are you trying to emphasize? Moving forward, the priority is, is learning recovery and whatever that means in a particular country. So uh, countries with large learning losses, primary school, that's what we're addressing. We have a, a program in uh, North Macedonia that was designed just before the pandemic and then uh, the pandemic hit and it was transformed into a learning recovery program. So there were supporting teachers, we're supporting schools, we're supporting uh, the uh, administrators with the tools and, and knowledge to improve education. Uh, we're also working on, on wholesale reform in countries. Um, in Georgia, we have a, a reform program that includes the better um, production of, uh, of teachers, the better selection, production of teachers, and then supports the schools to ensure uh, effective uh, learning. Uh, we're also trying to push our, our measurement agenda because we, we think that um, it's tough to do policy in the dark. Uh, and if we don't know what the learning outcomes are, it's hard to, to design programs. So learning assessments are a priority for us as well. Well, thank you, Harry, for this overall assessment of where we are and where we need to go. I have been speaking with Harry Petrinos, the Economics of Education Advisor to the Chief Economist at the World Bank. Uh, thank you, Harry, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Paul. My pleasure. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.